Hi, you're about to listen to Dirty Laughs Podcast. When life doesn't give you the success you planned, grab a microphone and your three best friends and put on a show anyway. Welcome back. Shall I steer the ship? Do it, yes. Go on, off you go. Hi, guys. <laughs> Welcome. I can't do it. I can't take myself seriously. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how you do that every week. Hi, guys. What is this podcast? I've stumbled on it. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, one and all, to Dirty Laughs Podcast. This week we are set in the 1940s. Where? Where? What? <laughs> I don't know how to carry on. I'm, where, I'm where, sorry. Um, no. s- some things happened. I think there was a war. <laughs> there was a war. We have sent our boys off to war. The girls must do the cooking and the cleaning to fight for our country. How are we all? Good. Disappointed with that, but... <laughs> Sam had so many hopes and dreams of how that was going to go, and none of them aligned. Guys, do you want to hear my rat update from last week? Yes, I actually do. Oh, sh- I genuinely yeah. do. For anyone who listened to the podcast last week, I was discussing the fact that I'd had a traumatic week and that my rats were dying. To the point where I had gone in to the lounge to where my flatmates were and being like he's gone i'm sure he's gone and monday bloody just perked up that's i mean that's good though oh my god i thought you were about to go monday just fucking died, <laughs> died. no <laughs> no just he just climbed out had a little run around my bed and i was like what's happening <laughs> you know what it is though it's because mercury's coming Don't. out of retrograde <laughs> no it's going in i thought it was coming out it comes out like in February. That's what one of my. I swear to God, say. if I have to hear one more person tell me that Mercury is in retrograde, I'm going to punch him in the face. <laughs> I'm sorry. You already owe me a punch in the face. So I... <laughs> I can't afford another one. <laughs> I can't afford another one. I can only have one black eye. <laughs> Yeah, basically, I feel like it's likely they're still on their way out, but they're just like acting like nothing is wrong. Obviously, that's really great. I'm really relieved and happy and also like fucking like livid. (laughs) Worse than than Harriet. I was going to say, I bet you they're just sitting there going, your turn, your turn, off you go. Watch this. And then like (laughs) drags himself over to the side of the cage and is like, (laughs) I dreamed a dream. (laughs) (laughs) You let your format send me away. And the other one's in the back while the other one's faking it going, empty chairs and empty tables. (laughs) Right, okay. So we are trying this week refining some of our process, as it were. And so we are cutting out our first segment. Usually we start with a bit of a catch up. Someone talks about whatever they've been learning, maybe ask a question based off of that. And we discuss some creativity things. We're still going to discuss the creativity things. That's not disappearing from the podcast. We're just refining some of the kind of segments to make it feel a bit more focused and a bit uh, easier for us. But we're trying it. If it doesn't work, you might get your segment back. And if you are really upset about it, just let us know. Behind the so we've got an exciting musical, I think, this week. Uh, Because we're learning about a brand new musical that is set to open on Broadway in April this year. And it is called A Strange Loop. The musical is about a character called Usher, 
who is also coincidentally an usher for The Lion King on Broadway. And it is essentially a musical about, bear with me because it might be confusing, a young black gay usher who is writing a musical about a young black gay usher who is writing a musical about a young black gay usher and so on and so on. Oh my god, this sounds like one of my head scratches. <laughs> and while he is writing this musical, he is, you know, reflecting on his own life, navigating how he fits into the world around him, looking at his own self-doubt, his own self-hatred and how he can kind of work through those things. It has a six-person all black and queer ensemble who voices inner thoughts. So it's written by a man called Michael R. Jackson, not the Michael Jackson in terms of Billie Jean. You had to put the R in there just to clarify. So on the surface, it's autobiographical in that he himself was an usher on The Lion King on Broadway and, you know, was writing a musical while he was doing it. And it explores the themes and kind of topics of his life, including experiences regarding him growing up as a queer man in a black community and going to black churches and things like that. However, he says it is more self-referential, is the word he uses, rather than autobiographical. And he says to him that essentially means it uses his experiences and situations, but the story itself is fictionalized. He says that the emotional story is autobiographical, but some of the physical, what actually happens is not autobiographical. He had previously written other musicals, including, which I think is hilarious, a musical adaptation of the indie horror movie Teeth, which if you know what Teeth is about, the idea that there's a stage adaptation is hilarious. Oh no. Is that the Megan Fox thing? No, it's the wildest movie. I was literally sitting there thinking, why do I know that film? Oh, that film. It's the one where a woman has teeth downstairs in her special lady garden. And in challenging times, the teeth take on a life of their own and bite things off that should not be bitten off. That is the main kind of idea behind this movie. Oh, <laughs> okay. So they're all sat, the writers, they're sat in a room and they're thinking, we need a new concept for a film. Uh, what should we do? And then they come up with that. <laughs> this is what they came up with. Oh, to be inside the minds of those people, honestly, what on I'm earth? not sure I want to be, to be honest. I'd like to be inside the mind of the person who decided to turn it into a musical. <laughs> My head hurts too much for all of this. Anyway, <laughs> most of the previous work that he did, he did the book and lyrics, whereas someone else did the music. So there was a bit of a difference. He said that he never intended to write this musical. When he was 22, which for context, he is now 40. So quite a while ago, he began writing a monologue about his life. He was studying playwriting in university. So he was like kind of doing this on the side. As it went on, he ended up going back and studying again, this time in NYU Tisch School of Arts, and he studied musical theatre writing. So he says that his musical training didn't exist. So he was very much a kind of, you know, writing lyrics, writing the plot kind of person. But as he was experimenting, he kind of started going with his just gut intuition in terms of music and then developed it from there. And so as he was doing this course, he began adding what he describes as very personal music music to the monologue and then the monologue developed into a one-man show which developed into workshops and so on but it took a 
large number of years i guess if you imagine he started writing a monologue when he was 22 and he's now 40 and it's about to go on to broadway that's quite a long time but he wasn't sat there having a project to get it to broadway it was just a thing that happened over a space of time during this time he was also working as an usher on broadway shows so he was looking at what was going on around him and what worked and what didn't work commercially and feeding that into the his own work to try and shape his his show into something better He says that he's worked very hard to create something that is relatable, not only to people who grew up in, say, a black community and can relate to some of that and queer people who can maybe relate to, you know, how coming out affected their life and uh, how their childhood impacted that, but also relatable to people who aren't from any of those backgrounds. He wanted it to be that you can come from any kind of generation and background and culture and understand what's going on and maybe learn about it and relate to the character themselves. Uh, but it might be your own version of that. In 2019, it premiered at the Playwright Horizons in New York City. In May 2020, it won the Pulitzer Prize for Drama. Now, that's actually a very big deal because only 10 musicals ever have won that. That's a very big deal. Wow! That's been going for nearly 100 years. Only 10 musicals ever. Hamilton was the last musical before this to win it. So not every musical wins this. And it became the first musical written by a black person to win. And more impressive... Well, not more impressively, but also very impressively, uh, the first musical to win without having had a broad Broadway run. So very impressive feat. It won a number of other awards during that off-Broadway run as well and then got picked up for Broadway. It was set to have a run before the pandemic hit. I think not on Broadway but like another fairly kind of high professional run but uh, obviously the pandemic hit and everything's got shut down so I think that is likely to happen but I'm not sure what's happening with that. But yeah it's set to open in April 2022. Their cast album has already been released. It peaked I think in the US Billboard charts in the cast album section, it got to number six already, which is, again, quite impressive considering it hasn't even reached Broadway yet and a lot of people don't listen to cast albums until things are already successful. So there's not like loads of information out there about it because it's obviously still in the pipeline, things are still happening, but I think this is likely to be one to watch. You know, we've had a couple of musicals now, haven't we, where we've seen people who aren't trained in music learn how to write a musical from a from like a different perspective and i think it's nice to hear those stories and he also says that as he wrote the musical he unpacked things in his own life which he then was able to put into the musical so it was all just changing as he went but that's the kind of summary that is a strange loop so watch out for it go and listen to it it grabs you in straight away with the storyline straight away i was like wait what you say there are voices that are in the voices in his head yes apparently yeah i haven't kind of seen how that plays out so i think it'd be interesting to see what version of it they do because it's not unlike things that we're doing yeah (laughs) alarm bells start ringing because you don't want to do the same as something else i don't think it's the same we don't win in the police but what is it how do you say it pulitza we're not winning one of them pulitza yeah yeah well done (laughs) pulitza if they'd got one going I'll take it. But it also just goes to show how important representation is as well. Yes. Not enough stories being told about people like him. I think that that is partly why I think the like Pulitzer committee kind of said, I think they obviously said it's very good work. <laughs> I don't think it just wins off the concept, but they think it's a very important show because of the representation that it brings. Fantastic. Oh, I'm going to go listen. Time to write a musical.
we are primarily here to write a musical. We're talking about other things, obviously, on the way. But if there's any one thing to take from this, we are writing musical. And our musical is essentially about a battle between the heart and the head, but we are personifying those characters. So we have two characters and they're lost somewhere in a wilderness and they hate each other and they're arguing and things are kind of falling apart around them. And then we meet a character called Joe who uh, is having a bit of a hard time, maybe emotionally, maybe mentally, and they're trying to make a decision. And then it all comes together and we realize that was their head and their heart battling and you have to all work together to have a happier life. And the police surprise for the best rundown goes to drum roll, please. <gasps> Boom. Anyways, woo! <laughs> Thank you so much. I just wasn't expecting this. <laughs> <laughs> well, take it away, Sam. It's over to you this week. So last week, Ailish presented us with a song that was fantastic, and it was about the introduction of our good friend Joe. And the setting is we're in the office and Joe is completely engrossed, I suppose, in their own feelings at the time, aren't they? Um, so I decided to give it a go and write just a short little snippet of the scene that would lead out of that into the scene going into the manager's office. So... It's nothing special, okay? Now, we all need to stop introducing our work as nothing special because it's what we all do. So let's make a blanket rule. You're not allowed to introduce your work by saying it's not very good or telling everyone what's wrong with it. We're just going to say, this is something that I've been working on. Let's see how it goes. Hi, everyone. This is something I've been working on. It's utter shite. Here we go. (laughs) (laughs) So we have the song and it finishes and you go back into the sound, don't you, of, of, of the phone calls and the typing and the chatter and all that sort of stuff and now that would maybe carry on in the background or it would fade out whatever and then we'll have a voice from the computer and they go joe joe are you there and joe says yes sorry hearing you loud and clear and the voice says okay so i need to report on my desk by tomorrow joe says noted see you then the call hangs up joe is visibly stressed tired burnt out and puts the head in their hands and they take a breath and then someone bursts through their office or in their cubicle someone bursts in and goes joey i'm grabbing you lunch are you coming and joe says no i think i'll stay i have a salad and the person says right okay bon appetit laughs walks away so right now they're just sat in their own sort of space stressed tired burnt out and the phone rings joe answers and says this is joe the manager's assistant says hello there joe and i couldn't think of a name so i've just gone for like the first sort of manager american lawyer uh uh, name i could think of l woods i was just gonna say is it l woods (laughs) mr silverstein would like to see you in his office joe says i'll be right there with their eyes closed looking very very tense hangs up the phone and then we'll move into the next scene of the manager's office. What do we think? Yeah, I like it. I like that. And I think, I remember we talked about ages ago, that scene and maybe a way of leading into the next scene was the desk turning around. Yes. And that would work with that, I think. When I was writing this, I could visi- visi- visibly, vi- visibly, visibly, <laughs> visibly, 
visualize. I could visibly see Joe sat at their desk with the tense look on her face, completely burnt out, look heads in their hands, phone ringing, emails coming up on their computer, um, people coming in and asking for things, and they're just like, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, just getting on with it. But they don't like where they are right now, so nothing is going to sort of make them feel proactive in their job i'm going to ask a really twatty actor thing right now using the stanislavski card method of tension what card method is joe right now oh no don't ask me about stanislavski you guys not use this i know a lot about stanislavski but i've never like oh this is a really good i believe it's stanislavski who does this yeah, like we did Stanislavski. I remember it. I think it depends, doesn't it? Everyone's different. I kind of find it hard to follow a particular method because I think it clouds the acting for me. But for other people, it gets them into the acting. It might help you, but in terms of an actual, like, in the character thing, I have to sort of be quite organic with it. I can't... I can't think of any sort of method. I, I mean, I'm very interested in... Very interested in learning about it. Yeah. Right, so basically... A practitioner of drama, and it's either Stanislavski or Breck. The idea is you've got a deck of cards. King is the top, ace is the lowest, and so you've got everything in the middle. And he used it originally for tension levels, so for ex and also the status of your character. So, for example, let's pick Wicked. Okay, so you've got Elphaba. She starts as a two or an ace because when she comes to shiz no one particularly likes her she doesn't think like anyone she's at the bottom everyone like doesn't like her but then as the musical progresses she gets a bit higher so then maybe at um the ozdas ball she goes to let's say maybe a five and then during popular by the end of popular she's probably made her way up to maybe a 10 and then by the time we get to one short day her and glinda are king because they've status wise made their way all the way up to the top however Elphaba, um after meeting the wizard being a king realizing everything else she's about to get completely extradited so she drops her character call it popularity or the status of her character will drop probably back down to an ace because she's not like however emotionally she's followed the same track as a status but emotionally she's going to be staying at a king because she knows who she is so it's learning about the different track of your character through the cards so are there different there's like you you've one that is maybe their emotion and one is maybe their physical status compared to other people you can use it for anything be it tension level, be it uh, the status of your character, be it their emotional levels. And it's, I always find it's really helpful for me when I'm acting to just sometimes pause and just say, and just say like, what card level am I for this right now? So in regards to this, are you saying, are you asking? So a tension level. So uh, for this one, ace would be jelly, relaxed, just had a massage. King would be i am so super tense like i'm basically a brick i would say maybe about a six or a seven um they are tense they are stressed they're not happy 
However, n nothing has happened yet to push them over the edge. So once they get to the burst of when they're at the pub and people were, you know, talking for them and things like that, and we've ha we've um, done that monologue, haven't we? Um, that's when they'll flip and maybe they'll be the, uh, on a king level of stress. Is that what we're talking about? Yeah. Can I ask as well? I don't know if we've discussed this yet. What era is our musical in? Because everything you've said to jo about Joe right now, she sounds like she would be a millennial. Because there's obviously this this thing about like how millennials are taking back, um, like a bit of self care within the work industry, about how they're learning to say no and going against a lot of what we were brought up to. Like you do this at work, you do this at work, and actually being like no, like respecting my peace and taking my peace back. And Joe sounds like. She is a millennial before that, or maybe the generation before millennials. I mean, I don't know if we need to put a label on it in terms of millennial. Yeah, I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't want to. I think it's likely we're going to be writing that because that's what we all are. There is a strong likelihood that what we write is going to probably fit some of that. But I don't think there's any reason why it couldn't be someone outside of that generation. But yeah, I don't, I don't know if we need to decide 100%, but obviously we are going to draw on our feel our experience and our feelings. And so it's likely that it might come across that way. But I think we can play with that as we go, I guess. Because I, I was also wondering earlier when Sam was talking about the phones, in my head when I was visualising it, I had like the idea of some big chunky white office phone. And I was like, it's not the 80s. We don't even need to allude too deeply to that. No. As technology advances, would we adapt particular scenes in the musical to allow technology to advance with the musical? Maybe. Carrie, I feel like you'd be wasting your uh, mind energy here. <laughs> Forgive My me. Mind... <laughs> but we're talk now talking about 50 years in the future. I think, you know, <laughs> you've got to be prepared for We'll let them things. sort it out, eh? We'll just let them sort it out. They want to change it they can change it. i mean i'm here to ask these questions that is my job to ask those questions <laughs> my gut assumption would be we'd want it to feel current right because the point is that it's a relatable story so i, I assume that would it would make sense with the current time depending on whatever that may be but definitely don't think we need to sit up and worry about it at night <laughs> what about the phones what size are the phones um that's good though i really like that sam thanks I mean, yeah, it's just a little bit just to sort of move us on. As we turn it, is this an opportunity for some music or a small song for, and maybe a little bit of movement as we set up for the office? So we've obviously got the desk turning and I don't know how we do this, but I kind of want Joe to walk stationary, obviously keep moving, but like on the spot or like around. So she's like going with the desk. They are going with the desk. And in my head, I can see a corridor. Somehow the desk turns, uh, as it's turning, it reveals a corridor. Joe goes through the corridor, comes out on the other side, and become, it becomes um, the manager's office. And there could be a moment for some music and movement, potentially. I don't know. So obviously last week we looked at the idea that like the song there's the room at the end of the corridor right and tonight i return to the corridor wouldn't it be great if it was like the ensemble are doing something almost different and maybe rather than have them singing along with joe 
it's almost like it kind of will cut in and out. So Joe might not actually have a full song, but it's like they do a verse and then maybe a chorus and then they come back and do the end bit that's like tonight I return to the corridor. And in between it will like cut to the ensemble. And in the version I played of it last week, all the ensemble sung tonight I return to the darkness of the corridor. And then Joe did it again by themselves. So in the initial version of that, only Joe sings that. We don't hear the ensemble singing it. But maybe here, when Joe is whatever we do with this, like you say, maybe they go down a corridor which turns into the office or something like that. Maybe the ensemble pop up and sing that line while that's happening. So it's like brings it back. And then it's like almost like narrating Joe going to the room. I don't know. That's an idea. I, d I wonder then if, I wonder if, we could rejig the the song a little bit so that it would be, I say bitty, but bitty. So you would have like a scene in the song, and then it would lead, and then Joe would then sing about the the, the corridor in the room, and the the the, the thing starts moving, and uh... yeah. So almost like the song, in a way, ends when they end up at the actual manager's room at the office yeah yeah yes. yeah yeah i like that and it's worth noting and i think it's probably worth just having this on the podcast when it comes to like writing song because we've never done this before so we're used to hearing a musical that's been finished yes so we think that when you hear a song you hear a finished song you know so it's such a different process for us but i think it's important for us to know both when we're writing and when we're presenting to other people and when we're hearing what other people have presented you know like all of those things that what we're writing is a basic demo yeah like the one that comes into my head is that i remember when i was a teenager i had the cd soundtrack of the jungle book for some reason and i remember that it had demo versions of songs at the end and they were nothing like the song it was just like the songwriter who generally couldn't sing on a piano all the lyrics were different sometimes the melodies were different but what they had done is sat down and be like this is an idea for something that will kind of go here this is the general vibe of what it will be and then they'd like move on and i think it's just useful for us all to know that isn't it have you heard the demo tapes for encanto with lin Manuel miranda <laughs> i did i heard that we don't talk about have bruno this week <laughs> he did every single character he did every single voice yeah. on this demo tape and i tell you now i know people post it to make fun but i wouldn't because i think it's brilliant i think the passion just, oh i love he's every Miranda. single voice he's doing every, yeah. every little bit there's something it's, really it's, it's nice about tape. hearing those versions because you hear what the person's yeah. idea was like what their inspiration was in the middle of the song yeah but it's been a big lesson for me that i've been really like it's it's like made me really um feel much more relaxed about everything to realize that like it's literally just going oh, i had an idea for something that could go here and you're looking you're actually what we are listening to is the idea is not the music it's not even necessarily the lyrics it's, you know it's not it's just the idea of something that's gonna fit there and then once we have all the ideas that's when we can come back to it because we may come back to it and be like Oh, we don't need that song there. That doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah. Come and join Sam's social network. She's here for you. Last, was it last week you went to see Bonnie and Clyde, Hamish? Yes. 
I believe so. And that was a concert version? It was a concert version, yes. So, who did you go with? I went with my dad. Okay, that makes sense. So, Ailish's dad has written in with a very, very good question. Yay! Martin is his name. Hi, Martin. Hello, Martin. Martin! Hi, Martin! He was wondering, after you went to watch Bonnie and Clyde concert, what are your thoughts on stage concert versions of musicals? Are they worthwhile? Do they have benefits or are they just a slightly worse version of the show? Oh, what a question. Good question. It's a really good question. If you don't know, like if you're watching this and if you're watching this. (laughs) 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 If you're watching this, then can you please get out of my room? If you are listening and you don't particularly know what a concert or stage version or whatever of a musical is, it's essentially... It doesn't have a full set, but it can be to varying degrees. So, for example, Bonnie and Clyde that I went to see last week that we're kind of referencing here, they were mic'd like normal. So they had their individual mics like on their heads and everything and they moved around and they everything was actually acted like a full normal musical. The only difference was that there was one set and the set didn't move so they didn't really have the same like props and things like they had to pretend there was a car and there wasn't a car and you know it was kind of some of it was not quite a full version but it was it was actually much more of a normal staged musical than i was expecting it to be however i went to see the staged the the staged concert version of les mis last year and Les Mis are the extreme opposite. They don't even look at each other. They they stand at the front in front of a microphone and they stare straight ahead as though they've never met the actor that's standing next to them singing. And it's kind of weird. I find that really off-putting. Who did you see doing it? Because when I saw it, I didn't have that. The only stage concert of a musical that I've ever seen is Les Mis. I mean, I think we you might have seen the same. I saw it with Michael Ball, Alfie Bowe, Carrie Hope Fletcher. No, I didn't see them. I had the all-star cast and it was phenomenal like you had (laughs) I know that it is called all-star cast but it does sound like you were like well I had the all-star cast (laughs) (laughs) that's Um, what I was laughing at no they do they do look at like I was exaggerating when I say they look look like they've never met the other actor like they do look at each other but it's very much directed out to the audience it's much more um, of a kind of stand still they you know they have a death scene and their death scene will be that they turn around and walk away you know gliding into the background so i kind of liked that okay oh i liked that i especially in the barricade things obviously when they do the barricade in concert they don't have a barricade they don't have all the action going on and the actors just sit down when it's their turn to die and I, I quite liked that. It was just quite representative. And I, I, I don't know. I enjoyed it. What? So, but what would your opinion be on that compared to a full staged version? Oh, I would take the full stage version because there's so much that you miss. For example, like the cart is such an important moment because obviously it reveals who Jean Valjean is because of his strength. Oh, I was like, I don't know what you're talking about the cart. So you mean there's a bit in Les Mis where Jean Valjean picks up the cart and saves someone and then he recognises him. Yeah. No matter how, what version you see of that, I've always been like, that's how we recognised him. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm like, mm, you're watching a bit too hard at But yeah. Yeah, have um, you ever watched someone pick something up and gone, oh, that's that person I met 10 years ago. <laughs> Remember oh. me? <laughs> But no, I understand what you mean. 
Do you think that there are any benefits to doing a concert version? Well, interestingly, I didn't see this. It's just something that I saw. The money. The money. money. Um, That's why they do it. (laughs) When the West End had just opened up from Corona and a lot of shows were going down and they were having to shut for how many days because their cast members off, the Prince of Egypt, I think they lost so many cast members, but instead of closing, they resorted to doing a stage concert version. Now, I've not seen The Prince of Egypt at all. I know one or two songs. Now, I would still be grateful that I would be getting to see it in a global pandemic and that it was on. I'd be supporting the actors, all of that. But I would want to see, I'd book it again to go see the full version. When I saw the concert version of Les Mis, it was the first thing I saw after the pandemic. And it was like one of the only things that was open. It was like July of last year and the West End hadn't really reopened, but there was the odd thing that was on and and this was on. And I can understand why in the context of the pandemic and social distancing and all of that why you would potentially go with a a concert version you don't require as many people maybe you know you don't require um as much to go into like as much money to go into the set when you may not have you know you might have to cancel so i do understand it but i felt like a lot of it was lacking for me. I didn't, there was a lot of things I didn't understand what was happening. It didn't impact me like I thought it would. And I felt like a full version of it would have given me more emotion and maybe invested in characters and maybe understand what was happening a little bit better. I like the staged concerts when it's a celebration. Yes. So a milestone, an anniversary, something like that. But when it's just on, just to be on, I'm kind of just like, do we really need to? It comes a little bit indulgent. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. They did the all-star cast, right? I'm saying in quotes, all-star cast, because that's what they called it, not what we're calling it. That's what my ticket said. It said all-star cast. Yeah. They got these names in that was like, oh, this person. And they only did a concert version. And this was before COVID. So they can't blame anybody on COVID. They made a decision. And is it because they don't have to learn as many things? Maybe. But I'm there to watch the story and I'm there to watch the musical as a whole. I'm not going to a so-and-so's concert. You know, I'm going to Les Mis' show. If I'm just going to go see a musical for, like, it's a musical, I want to see it and it's on, it's a normal situation, I'll see it regardless of who is in it. Sometimes I will be like, oh, this person's in it and I saw them in this. Oh, that'd be nice to go see it. Um, But obviously with the all-star cast, it was obviously advertised completely as an all-star cast. And I actually did, I was one of those people who went, so I could see Alfie Bow, I could see Michael Ball, I could see Carrie Hope Fletcher. And I went to see them. And especially because Matt Lucas was saying he's my favourite Tenardier. Um, yeah. And with the celebration. So what I really like about an anniversary celebration. And they did it in... So this is the interesting thing. Les Mis 25th anniversary. I was not about it because they put Nick Jonas in it. I were, at the time, I was very, very young. I was very, very naive. I was very young, naive teenager that was like, Oh my God, it's a Jonas brother. And I went to the actual show. Did you? To watch him. To watch him. That was the first time I ever saw Les Mis. But then maybe this is the point, actually. And maybe we're just like, we've talked ourselves around in a circle here. Is that like, you were like, Alfie Bow, Michael Ball, Carrie Hope Fletcher. I want to go and see that. 
those aren't names that would draw me. So I, mm. I'm like, I don't need to go and see them. Mm. They're not for me. You're like, well, at the time, Nick Jonas. Yeah, I want to go and see that. Again, at the time. Again, Can at we the just time. that in like, no, yeah, at, at the, the time. time. At the time. But, but that is, th- that's why yeah. he was in there. You weren't alone. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, the teenage exactly. girls, they weren't crying because of the storyline the lame is. They were crying because Nick Jonas was on stage. I wouldn't have been interested in Nick Jonas and I wouldn't have been interested in them, but there'd be someone else. Like, put Jeremy Jordan in it and I would go and buy the ticket. Like, <laughs> Obviously, I wouldn't be that fussed about Jeremy Jordan. Yeah, which is fine. So if you if we're talking about stage concert versions, obviously you've got things like Six and, the, and Jersey Boys. They are quite concerty to begin with. And it would be incredibly easy to turn them into a pure concert version. So would we consider these a concert musical? Yeah, so I was thinking about this this week with Six. Like, I, I don't know if it is 100% a musical because it's different. It's it's not in the style of a classic musical. But that doesn't have to mean it's not a musical because things are changing. And maybe we're just realising that musical can mean anything it's not like a concert version of a musical like they literally are like we're this is a concert and we're queens singing at a concert and you're the audience and it is very very much like this is a concert not a musical so yeah i think that's a very good question i love six i've never seen it it's on tour at the minute and it's in my hometown and it's here and everyone and their dog has gone to see six this weekend and i have not the only thing I would say is that I wouldn't put Jersey Boys in as a concert musical. I would put it in as a jukebox musical. I do feel like Six is one of a kind at the minute. There's not really anything else like Six. At this point, it's its own genre. Yeah, that was a good question, though. Evidently, because we really... Um... Delved. <laughs> yeah. We had a lot to say. <laughs> if you'd like to get in contact and send us a message, you can email us, podcast at dirtylaughs.co.uk or you can like and follow us on Instagram at Dirty Laughs Podcast. The same for TikTok. I am on it this week. Harriet's head scratcher. Scratch your head now. Okay, so for this one, I'd firstly like to apologise to all vegans and vegetarians. <laughs> so if you'd like to fast forward for the next, uh, I don't know, couple of uh, minutes on the podcast, that's fine. Okay, so today's is less of a question. It's more of a statement to fuck with your mind. Fried chicken and fried eggs are the same food, just at different stages. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Sam's face. <laughs> I, um, eggs are like, they make me want to vomit. The idea, like, I can't, I, eggs are the one food more than anything else in the world. I literally can't touch them. But I could eat fried chicken, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> so this one doesn't upset me at all. <laughs> I I go I go through phases definitely and an egg has to be cooked in a certain way otherwise I can't eat it because I don't like the gooiness I don't like it I had eggs this morning and they were fine um so now I feel absolutely disgusting thank you Harry What is the process of an egg becoming a chicken though like what because I'm sure it's not straightforward like it's not like if you left the egg for longer it would turn into a chicken Yeah it's it's a while right fertilization How does a hen fertilize her egg to stop it from from being a scrambled egg and to help it become a chicken. I feel like there's a punchline somewhere. Is that what you've just Googled? So it has to be sort of cooked. So it doesn't have to be fertilised. It just needs to stay under the head. No, it just has to be incubated. Well, yeah, it makes me feel weirder about eggs. But I don't like them, so, I mean, obviously it doesn't really impact my life, but like... I know, yeah, it's weird, right? Well, 
Thank you, everyone, for listening. Harriet, do you have any last words? So long, farewell, and thanks for all the fish. Okay. Ailish, okay. uh, any words of wisdom? Keep it real, keep it good, and do that shit. Okay, thank you very much, everyone. Thanks for listening to our now. <laughs> wine makes me wise. <laughs> oh, dear. I'm going to have a wine in the bath tonight. <laughs> <laughs>